Chapter Twelve of In a North Country Village by M. E. Francis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mates. The squire of Thornley, though willing enough to conform to modern ideas on certain subjects, retains to this day many old-fashioned notions with regard to sport. He will persist in looking at it as a matter of pleasure, not profit. Therefore. He never endeavours to make Thornley shooting pay. He employs a certain number of keepers and rears a certain number of pheasants, and he and his friends shoot them at their leisure, and as many as are wanted for the house are kept and the rest given away. It never occurs to him to sell so much as a feather of them. A shoot at Thornley is a pleasant business, even for the non-sporting members of the community. The bustle and stir, the tramping of heavy boots, the ecstatic barking of dogs, the hunting for somebody's flask, and the filling of someone else's tobacco pouch, the animated discussion as to where lunch is to be, the procession across the stable-yard to the gun-room, where the two chief keepers wait solemn and expectant, the gathering together of a little army of beaters. There is a certain excitement about it all, which infects even the most tender-hearted of the ladies. Now for the guns! Billy, you old villain! You haven't touched mine since I used it on Friday. The barrels are like factory chimneys. I beg your pardon, Mr. Edward. I cleaned it on Saturday. You must have taken it out without telling me since. So I did, when I went after those ducks at the mosses. It's all right, old chap. Now, is everybody ready? We ought to have started ages ago. It will be dark before we know where we are. Is everyone here? Squire's not comed yet. Not here? No, he isn't. What is he doing? Do go and see what he's about, somebody. Somebody goes and presently returns with the announcement that the squire has not begun to put on his boots yet. There's a general groan. Then we shan't get off for hours, said one resigned voice, and the butt-end of a gun rings on the pavement. Consternation is painted on every face. Everybody knows what the squire's boots are. Presently a breathless messenger arrives from the house. He's getting them on, and then comes a girl jubilant. Papa's nearly ready. And finally the squire himself appears, sauntering leisurely along, placidly asserting that there's lots of time, and pausing as he passes the stables to strike a match on the wall, and to light his pipe in the most imperturbable manner possible. It is not that he is less than keener sportsman than the very youngest of the party, but he is accustomed to look on time as an elastic commodity, and sees no reason why he should take the edge off his enjoyment by hurrying. At last he is under way. He's got his gun and his cartridge bag and his game bag. He's searched all his pockets to make sure that his matchbox and tobacco pouch are safe. He's sent one of his daughters to the house for his pocket handkerchief. He's discussed the prospects of sports with the head keeper and patted the dogs and secured his own special favourite a young black retriever by a stout thong to the belt round his waist finally just as the general impatience has reached fever height he remarks that he thinks it is about time to be moving and off they go the retriever straining at his collar and ready at the first rabbit which crosses his path to tow his master half across a field the squire says this dog is half broken he has one or two little pet theories of the kind such as that the most infantine of the rabbits against which he wages unrelenting war on account of the damage they do to his holly trees is three parts grown 
and that any animal in the stables from the old hack on which all his girls have learnt to ride to a three-year-old colt is well up to his weight the womankind return to the house if the home coverts are to be gone through one or two of the younger ones may presently follow the sportsman i must own that my own enthusiasm never stood this test or if the party is going further afield we shall probably meet them at some farmhouse or keeper's hut with luncheon hot pot being one of the standing dishes on these occasions it is amusing if one arrives first at the rendezvous to watch the faces of the sportsmen as they come straggling in one can tell by the first glance how the day has gone with them the complacency of some the depression of others neophytes these easy unconcern marks the practised hand who couldn't miss if he tried while the gloom of the fellow who let slip the only woodcock we saw would be noticeable even if the squire did not announce in a stage whisper one might as well take him out with a walking stick luncheon however revives drooping spirits and further invigorates hopeful ones anecdotes are told amid much laughter and there is some good-humoured chafing good-humouredly taken without the keepers and beaters discuss various matters over their solid viands strong ale warms old billy's heart and loosens his tongue he relates certain reminiscences recalling bygone encounters with poachers with half-contemptuous comments on the softness of lads of the present day which make one or two of the underlings hang their heads and winds up with his favourite story of the last time the squire of upton came to shoot at thornley he were a queer un says billy towed squire of upton i never see such a one he wouldn't never have no big shoots at upton yonder same as we've allus had here he didn't seem to care to have parties of gentry stopping in the house nay nay says the old squire fish and strangers stink out of three days eh he was a queer un well one day we was patrick shooting here and he come out wi us he'd do that sometimes when he'd a mind though he didn't care for other folks going over yonder it were more to lot and in the afternoon a storm come wi thunder and leetnin and a downpour o rain as drenched us afore we could get shelter we was all making here and there and nobody noticed we a squire of upton had gotten to but after a bit when storm was ower and we was all making warm as wet as water dogs he nips out on us from a field of turmits t'other side at thedge hallo says the squire stopping and giving himself a bit of a shake for the water was running off him hallo again says squire of upton you seem a bit wet says he i should think i was wet says squire aren't you nay nought to speak on says towd gentleman laughing to himself you should have done same as me says he what's that says the squire why says the squire of upton i took off my clothes and sat on em this story is received with applause and laughter and then billy the other old keeper relates how he caught that famous snig in one of the dykes yonder when he was a young un never was such an eel as that it was caught about fifty years ago but has been growing ever since each time billy unbethinks himself about it its length increases and there is every reason to believe it will rival the sea serpent before he has done with it presently another voice strikes in you'll have heard how betty yonder at the lawn end is gone eh is she respond the hearers in different tones of regret she were a kind of cousin of my own adds billy and a decent hard-working old body you'll miss her going your round bob 
ye mind how she was allus sat aside at throwed watchin her cow and knittin ah i do replies old bob whose beat takes him past the lone end every day of his life poor owd betty jim will be in a terrible way she was near the end when i looked in yesterday and poor owd jim was pattin her on the hand and tellin her to keep her heart up there was the two of them lyin one aside at t'other and the owd woman deein fast and jim reachin ower her and pattin her and axin how are ye now owd lady do you find yourself any more comfortable and she deein eh poor owd chap's gettin a bit silly says some one presumably the small farmer in whose house the party is assembled he's old you know and's been bedridden this many year eh twas the wonderfullest thing to hear him this morning arter the old woman was gone and they were talkin' a shiftin' her for twas a strange thing to have her there lyin' aside her jim and she dead and where should they lay her out they was sayin' there is but two rooms in yon little house you know and alice the daughter sleeps in the only bed they have beside the owd folks you've no need to shift her at all says jim i can do wi her here he says i wunnot have her taken away says he and then he reaches out his hand and strokes her eh missus he says i'm fain to keep ye as long as i can they mun let ye bide to the last he says eh i thought it was the wonderfullest thing ah poor jim says bob i'm sorry for thou chap he'll be lost without his missus but i reckon he'll not be so longer arter her ay he'll soon be aside of her again responds billy and then there is a scraping of feet and a general move the midday meal is over in the evening the result of the day's sport is laid out for general inspection pheasants hares wild duck a few rabbits perhaps a water-hen or two and with good luck for they're scarce in these parts a couple of woodcocks well the day is done and on the whole everyone is well satisfied the gentry come in pleasantly tired to refresh themselves with tea or whatever their particular vanity may be the beaters and underlings melt away and last of all billy and bob turn their steps homewards one walking a little in front of the other according to time-honoured custom never was there a pair more truly attached to one another than this brace of mates though billy is tenacious of his prerogative as chief and bob takes his orders with becoming humility bob would as soon think of arguing with the head-keeper as of walking alongside of him argument indeed or conversation of any kind does not seem to occur to either of them though they spend hours in each other's company except on the occasion of a big do when for the honour of the thing they are bound to exert themselves they are a taciturn couple billy is taciturn even in his cups as a rule though once he aroused the squire at dawn of day by throwing pebbles against his window and requesting him to come down forthwith and help him to rout a very army of poachers which he declared were overrunning the park billy had a great deal to say about these poachers town poachers they were he assured the squire and of the most malignant order even when the depredators turned out to be sheep billy's angry loquaciousness could not be checked but as a rule there never were such silent and cheerless sprees as those in which he periodically indulges he sits sighing and shaking his head at the fire and remorsefully fuddling himself day after day a most melancholy spectacle the objurgations of his wife are of no avail the remonstrances and persuasions of the canon fall alike unheeded 
squire is the only one who can get any good of billy under these circumstances and even he has to wait till billy is ripe for it i was much astonished once being still new to thornley and thornley ways when a stalwart youth in corduroys flew past me hastily observing to the canon with whom i was chatting outside the church porch that he was going for squire for favour a short time after the squire appeared pipe in mouth stick in hand retriever at heel and escorted by the anxious messenger on his way to lecture billy and in a few days billy resumed work very solemn and severe in manner if a little shaky about the legs i soon became used to this course of events during the periodical bouts of his chief bob takes refuge in a stolid affectation of innocence billy's not so well he remarks if questioned though every child in the place knows the reason of billy's indisposition and though bob makes a point of sitting with him in the evenings watching his potations with gloomy dissatisfaction but never offering to say a word once billy got the titus or brown titus as bronchitis is indifferently called in thornley while he was still weak after an outbreak and for a time was very seriously ill bob's distress was touching to witness he moidered billy's wife and occasionally irritated the invalid himself by his repeated inquiries and once when offered a glass of ale by way of consolation he heaved a deep sigh and observed that if his mate went he didn't care if he never got a wet again spoken thus with tears in his blue eyes and his weather-beaten old face all puckered with grief and anxiety this remark of bob's was genuinely pathetic however he has luckily not yet been called upon to become a teetotaler billy mended in course of time and bob follows his lead as of yore the old white heads are both getting rather bent and the broad velveteen clad shoulders stoop a little billy is going at the knees and bob drags one foot slightly as he walks one feels a little pang as one watches them joseph too told me the other day that he was wearing away and robert whose winter cough has been very bad of late made some jocular remark on the subject of his coffin which betrayed the bent of his thoughts the curtain has risen on the last act of this bucolic play and the chorus of old men's voices grows fainter as they make their exit one by one soon the drop scene will fall and the stage will be cleared for younger more energetic actors there is a certain likeness to their fathers in the new generation certain tricks of manner certain tones of voice but there is much that is strange yet a few years and it may be that thornley itself will be altered and modernised beyond recognition its old-fashioned customs forgotten its traditions stamped out the old order changeth and the fashion of this world passeth away but when the time comes for thornley to be improved and civilised may i not be there to see end of in a north country village by m e francis